Welcome to the Circle City Cinema with Zach Griffith and Brett Sexton, a part of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Welcome into Circle City Cinema. I am your host, Zach Griffith, joined as always by my good friend, my co-host, Brett Sexton. Brett us. Yes. How are you? I'm doing good. Continuing our David Fincher series. Yeah, it's uh looks like it's gonna be our last one in the series because <coughs> Mank comes out on Friday, Brett. Comes out on Netflix. Yes, it does. So we're talking about Gone Girl, which coincidentally the last movie David Fincher made before Mank. Yep. Been a long six years. It's been a long six years. I said waiting on him. <laughs> he's luckily he's given us Mindhunter in between, but still missing behind the the big screen. Yep. Mag releases on Netflix this Friday. Uh news, Bredis. You mentioned before the show a slow news cycle since we last got together. Mm-hmm. 25th anniversary of Toy Story, Bredis, came out in 1995. Was this a movie of your childhood? Because I know it was for me. It sure as hell was for me. I don't, I don't think it was. I don't think it had a huge impact. I don't think I ever had any Toy Story toys or, or anything like that. You were a Masters of Disguise guy. <laughs> I was a Masters of Disguise child. <laughs> The golden age of cinema, boy. Much to your father's chagrin. <laughs> that's for these guys. I wonder if that's in the Criterion Collection. <laughs> I, I doubt it. Get remastered. <laughs> the cringe collection. But uh, Toy Story, I don't think... I don't think you can overstate what a landmark this movie was. No. From, yeah. Just from an animation perspective. I mean... A movie had never been made with totally just computer animation. It had never been done. Yeah. And they did it. I think the thing about Toy Story, not a long movie. It's like 80 minutes. Mm-hmm. But it's, it is a really well-written movie. And I think you'll see the best Pixar movies are the ones that are written for adults, but are also entertaining for kids. The ones that don't oh. talk down to the parent that's in the audience, you'll see that with, I think, the better end of the, all the Pixar movies, and this is clearly one of them. That's why they've had, what, three sequels, and they've all been really well-reviewed. Yeah, they've all been good. I haven't seen four. I only saw three once, but I've only heard positive things about all of them. I watched Toy Story 4 a couple days ago for the first time, and I thought it was fine. It's what you would expect, I imagine. It's, it, it, it's a Toy Story movie. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't disappointed by any means. Yeah. But now I will say about Toy Story 4, I don't know if it was totally necessary. <laughs> oh, I, it easily wasn't necessary. I thought Toy Story 3 wrapped things up pretty nicely. But I guess when you have a billion dollar property sitting there, because it did make a billion dollars, <laughs> you, you, you got to do it, Brett. You got to yeah. do it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this was definitely a movie for me as a kid. I think Toy Story 2, for the entirety of my life, is probably the movie I've seen the most. Really? Because I watch that, I watch that shit twice a day. <laughs> from like age 2 to 
Seven. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that was that movie was heavily in my life. Uh, but I want to make a case for Pixar here, and I want to see if you agree with me. We might have to go back to the studio era mm. to answer this question. I think Pixar is the only studio in Hollywood that is an automatic shoe in for an Oscar every time it puts out a movie. There, you're at least getting a nomination. Yeah, even Cars got a nomination. Yeah. I mean, we were shitting on cars in pre-production. Got a nomination. Didn't win. Yeah, I mean, the quality of the, of the films alone, I think, gets them nominated regardless of how the story is. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to go through. I'm trying to see. What is this? A list of uh, Pixar awards and nominations for their feature films. Oh, hell. Toy Story. That's a long list. Uh, Academy Awards it won for special achievement. So it won an Oscar. Yeah, it gave it a special achievement. <clears throat> a Bugs Life. Where's the Academy Awards? Bugs yeah, they Life might didn't win anything. But I mean, they're nominated. That's the thing. They're nominated every year. Right. If you, I guess that's more what I mean. A shoe in for a nomination. Monsters Inc. won an Oscar. For yeah, as a best original song, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, Toy Story two won, or no, it was nominated. Oh, it didn't win. It did not win. It was nominated oh. for best original song. Didn't win best animated feature. Nope. What the hell won? Nineteen ninety nine. What won? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well. Finding Nemo won for best animated feature. I mean, they're they're nominated and they're either win. Oh wow, The Incredibles cleaned out. Yeah, two thousand four. <laughs> <laughs> it won for all these associations. This is our, a, a bit of a weird tangent, but <clears throat> the Florida Film Critics Circle Awards, Los Angeles Film Critics Association, National Board of Review, New York Film Critics, Phoenix Film Critics, San Diego Film Critics Society, Seattle Film Critics, Washington, D.C. Film Critics Association. Mm -hmm. It won every single one. Basically every major society. (laughs) And then it won for the Oscars, Best Animated Feature and Best Sound Editing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it should have. And the guy who directed that, Brad Bird, went on to direct Ratatouille. (laughs) Another Oscar or win for him. How about this run for Pixar? This three-year run from... 07, they put out Ratatouille. 08, they put out Wally. 09, they put out Up. And then 2010, they put out Toy Story 3. What? Yeah. yeah they were <laughs> throwing out bangers. Four years in a row, it's just heaters. 100 miles an hour heaters. <laughs> but it brings me to my next question here. What is the best Pixar film? A loaded question. Oh, yeah. You could easily say Toy Story. Easily. I think The Incredibles is such a good movie. Ratatouille is almost a perfect movie. Yeah, it is. Mantra's Inc. I just love. Um, I never saw Coco. No? Never saw Coco's Inside great. Out. Never. I never saw it either. Yeah, so I can't come on. The, Up is, I mean, Up is phenomenal. Up's perfect, yeah. Wally. Is such a good movie. Wally underappreciated, in my opinion. 
Yeah. Never didn't care for Incredibles two. You're finding Nemo. Finding Nemo's good. Finding Dory. Finding Dory unnecessary. <laughs> but again, billion dollars. Billion dollars. When you can shit out a million, a billion dollars, why the hell not? <laughs> why not? Yeah, I mean, The Incredibles two. I'm pretty sure is the highest grossing animated movie ever. Oh, one point <laughs> one point two billion or something like that. God crazy. Damn. For me, I think I would put Toy Story at the top of the list. And if not that, I'd probably put The Incredibles. You're not going to find a lot of arguments putting Toy Story up top. No, I mean, when when you talk about... I mean, it started the Pixar empire. Really yeah. Did. Really did. Now, our next segment before we get into Gone Girl. Good things we've seen lately. Talking before the show, tough to find anything. I'm going to say, because I watched two episodes recently, Nathan for you. I feel like a lot of people have seen it, but what a (laughs) quality comedy. What a unique, unique humor in that movie, in that show. Very unique. Very unique. Well, for me, I already said it, uh, Toy Story 4. I mean, like I said, kind of unnecessary, kind of an unnecessary film, but I enjoyed it. Wow. Also, talking about how much they grossed, I looked up the highest grossing animated films. The top 10 have all made a billion dollars. Number 10, Zootopia. Number nine. A billion dollars? Yeah. Number nine, Finding Dory. Yeah. Number eight, Despicable Me 3. No. Number seven, Toy Story 3. Yeah. Number six, Toy Story 4. Wow. Number five, Minions. Number four, Incredibles 2. Number three, Frozen. Number two, Frozen 2. And number one, can you guess? I can give you a hint, but it will give you the answer if I give you the hint. Don't don't do that. (laughs) It it wasn't The Incredibles 2? Incredibles 2 was 4. It made 1.2 billion. Is it a Shrek movie? It is not. The highest Shrek movie is Shrek 2 at 14. Made almost a billion, 919 million. Is it going to piss me off? Is the answer going to piss me off? Yeah, it pissed me off. Want me to tell you? Secret Life of Pets? Nope. The 2019 remake of The Lion King. Oh, that doesn't count? Yeah, I know it doesn't count because the original is in 12th place and made $968 million. They already that made the shit. damn movie. That they re- shit doesn't they count. Re- they released the same movie, Zach, and they made almost $3 billion releasing the same movie twice. Because oh, people, people are stupid. I know what they did. It's a punishable offense. I mean, I'm not going to blame John Favreau. I'm not going to blame him. <laughs> he took the money. But Disney should be ashamed of themselves. Number 50 on the list. It goes 1 to 50. Kung Fu Panda 3. <laughs> it made half a billion dollars. The lowest movie made half a billion. Hey, you know why I wouldn't have guessed The Lion King? 
Why? Because it's not an animated film. Oh, you're right. <laughs> so Frozen 2 is technically the top. Yeah. This kind of predictable. Frozen and Frozen 2 are the two highest grossing. And that's another thing Pixar did. You don't see the hand-drawn animation anymore. <clears throat> it's all computer. Oh, yeah. All of it. I mean, uh, we're never going to see, like, a favorite animated movie of mine, Treasure Planet. That didn't make any money because mm. Pixar was at the height of its powers with the computer animation. Nobody cared about the hand-drawn stuff anymore. No. So a good movie like Treasure Planet pays the price because it's not, quote-unquote, up with the times. Yeah, and also, I mean, the time it takes for those hand-drawns, like we, we've talked about before for animated shows, uh, Samurai Jack and the two-part Clone Wars Yeah, that were, like, hand-animated, they're beautiful, but it takes so much longer yeah, it does. than computer animation that it's just not viable for a studio that doesn't have the money or size of Disney or Pixar or DreamWorks. Also, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. Is that the best voice acting in a film that we've ever had? Yeah, I mean, you've got two golden voices that you're gonna get. <laughs> you're gonna get perfection out of. I would say they're they're front runners probably. Uh, all right, diving in, Bredis. To Gone Girl. To it. You and I had both only seen it once before. I watched it again today after work. You watched it with your brother, who had never seen it. How was that? He he loved it. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. Ian. I, I knew he would. Oh yeah, I mean how can you not? How can you not? And point out, finally we get our boy Fincher with a financially successful movie at the box office. Yeah. His highest grossing <laughs> yeah, poor bastard. Finally got him one. His highest grossing movie that he ever made. So Gongo, released in 2014, directed by the man, David Fincher, produced by Arnan Milshan, Joshua Donan, Reese Witherspoon, and Sian Chaffin, written by Gillian Flynn, edited by Kirk Baxter, cinematography by Jeff Cronenwith, music by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, starring Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, Neil Patrick Harris, Tyler Perry, based on the 2012 novel, by Gillian Flynn. 8.1 out of 10 IMDb. What do you think of that? That's fair. I mean, I'd probably give it an 8.5 at least, but yeah, I could see some people not being into the movie, not maybe not giving it that high of a rating. There's a certain point in the movie where you might turn, uh, <coughs> you might turn away. <laughs> uh, Roger Ebert. He did not review this movie. This came out a year after he died. But Matt Zoller Seitz reviewed it for his website. RogerEber.com, 3.5 out of 4. Solid. Yeah, that's fair. Solid. That's damn good for Roger's site. Oh, yeah. That's, that's high praise. So, Bredis, take me back to your first viewing of Gone Girl. Did you think Nick killed Amy? I was trying to think back during the second viewing for scenes, what my first thought was. Um, I th- Maybe for like a minute, but quickly realized that the way that he acts, that he probably didn't do anything. You then jump to other people being involved. 
I think on my original viewing, I thought that because Dean had this thought of as well, uh, that Desi was in on it. Right. Dean had an interesting take and he actually thought that Nick was in on it. Yeah. For at first he thought that they was in on it. They were both trying to pull off some scheme, maybe life insurance or whatever that I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. But they definitely played off well with, uh, the storytelling for the movie the fact that you have her voiceovers, accompanying the film so it just looks like it's just her writing normally nothing else is going on about actual events taking place how they actually happened i think one of the most poignant ones is the pushing and throwing her like against the stairs right right because you're turned out to be not true yeah you're given all these facts about him gambling and losing money and her family comes from money they're very wealthy she's a trust fund so it makes sense bars in her name. Maybe he is upset about the stuff that he might've got pushed to the edge and hit her and pushed her. But it just makes it even better when everything unravels bit by bit. Yeah. The, the Nick theory is definitely supported. I mean, until the reveal, the big reveal that she's behind it all, you're heavily led to believe Nick might be involved based on all the circumstantial shit against him. Yeah. I like that Desi point. I didn't even think about that because before the reveal, he comes to the search party. Shows his face yep. a little bit. You get a really quick scene with him, so you might think, especially when they, when he meets her at the casino, the way, I mean, she plays it up, yeah. but the way that he seems so happy to see her, like he's been waiting for this for so long, that you definitely could get the hint that he, he might be in on it. My first viewing, I definitely thought Nick killed her, but should have known better with David Fincher. His plots are never that simple. No, no. They're never what you think. Um, and honestly, I never read the book either. My mom read the book. She said she's one of those people. The book's always better than the movie. But yeah. you know, <clears throat> I definitely thought Nick killed Amy. And then the reveal, I just remember thinking, "What the fuck?" Just her driving down a beautiful sunny highway. <laughs> what's what's the line? It's like I'm so glad to be dead. And she's just driving. I mean, it's that reveal. Yeah. Another another twist, not a twist ending, but another dynamic twist in a Fincher movie. Who'd have thought? Who'd yeah. Have thought? I mean, the whole montage during the reveal when she reve- like shows her reading all those murder mysteries because there's a line where they ask her what she does, and Nick's like, "Oh, she loves to read." She's always got a book on her, and she's reading murder mysteries. She's watching right. forensic files on TV. Look like blood splatter smears it. She's like, "I'm gonna make it messy, like he would be." Right, planting all this shit. Like you see how much of a mastermind she is. <laughs> <laughs> no, she knows he doesn't look at the credit card statements. Yeah, makes him spend like life oh. insurance policy that's bigger while he's betting on the game. She. We'll talk about her intelligence when we get to the performance, but. Probably the smartest, the smartest female character I've ever seen. Top three smartest (laughs) villain of all time. Uh, I'd put it against anyone else. What was Dean's reaction when the reveal was going on? Was he just jaw dropped to the floor? Yeah, he he couldn't believe it. I mean, when the movie ended, he was like, that's it? (laughs) Like, she she pulls that shit off? Like, he's fucked? Yeah, he's he's stuck now in this. Nick is just forced into this new life now. Like he couldn't believe it. Nick was dragged through the shit, and 
ended up stuck in the shit. He never yeah. got up. No. The best scene, Bredis, would you like to take it? Yes. So we have the opening monologue. Uh, Nick and Amy first meet at the party, the press conference, and slash Nick's shit-eating grin that bites him in the ass. Uh, the visual that gets ruined goes south very, very, very fast for Nick. Quickly, quickly. Amy is a live reveal. Nick meets with Tommy. Amy gets robbed. Nick goes on talk show. Amy fakes the rape. Desi's death. Amy comes home. The final scene, which is the pregnancy test and Margot crying. There's there's a lot to pick from. Well, let's go one by one, break them down. Yeah. Opening monologue. I just love how the score brings you in. Mm-hmm. And it's just her head on Nick's chest. And then and just, what he's talking about. In <laughs> a soothing Affleck voice, too. He's like, yeah. when I think of my wife... <laughs> Think about bashing her lovely head. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, that's not the best, but I, I liked it. The, the music in particular made the scene to me. Yeah. Uh, Nick and Amy first meet. I got uh, flashes of uh, Sorkin written script. The back and forth they had where they're guessing who they are and right. what they're at in life. Like, oh, you look like this type of person who does such and such and such. I love that kind of banter, that back and forth dialogue is always so entertaining to listen to. It's so fast that I thought that scene was perfect. The chemistry between them was off yeah. the charts, especially in that scene. I mean, I really believed. I mean, I, I could have been an onlooker at that party and be like, yeah, they're going to go home and get it, get it on. Uh, the press conference Nick's shit-eating grin. Like you said, came back to bite him in the ass, but that's what it was, a shit-eating grin. Also, so is the – real quick, is the woman that went out and took a picture with him, the woman on that who that TV show, that's her No, right? no, 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 no. No. I don't – On this – looked alike. On, the, yeah, on this viewing, I swear to God, when they show the photo of the Nancy Drew-esque woman on TV and the, the picture of that woman that got a selfie with him, I swear to God it was like her in a wig who went there to get that photo to try to write a story. They look oh, way shit. too similar as actresses. That could have been. Like I'm on the... Uh, it's, what's the name? Is it that reporter woman? was sleazy enough. She would have put on a wig and tried I to... I think this is her. Yeah, Missy Pyle is the uh, actress and she was the... Ellen Abbott was the reporter. Right. But... Based on Nancy Grace. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Looks just like Nancy Grace, in my opinion. But I'm gonna I actually want to look that up. It's Ellen If it's not true, it's a hell of a theory because I mean she that reporter is definitely sleazy and shady enough to Yeah. I mean we find out in the end when she comes to Nick's house. She's sleazy enough to like put on a wig or some shit and then, you know, get a selfie with him. Something like that. But if that's not true, that's a hell of a theory. That's one hell of a theory. I swear. I swear it is. They do look alike, now that you mention it. They look a lot alike. Look a hell of a lot alike. But while you're looking that up, I'm going to move on. Nick shit-eating grin. What are you doing, man? Why? Why smile? (laughs) This this feeds into the Nick's in on it theory. It does. Like at no point does he seem distressed. Like, man, 
Amy's gone. If she comes back, she comes back. If not, yeah. He's just like I, th- I mean so the aff- the affair also really digs uh, it in for him. Oh. Uh, the fact that he didn't know whose panties were in his office. So like they might be hers. He's <laughs> like, are they yours? It's like I I mean, maybe. Uh, uh, How do you not know? He's like, I haven't done red panty inventory. He's like, shut <laughs> up. That's a time for games. I got some uh, comedy related when we get to that section when it comes to her. <laughs> she says something at a press conference that I, I, I don't agree with. <laughs> uh, the vigil. The vigil is a wild scene because it starts out going fine for Nick. Walks up casually to the stage, hugs his in-laws, gets behind the mic. Then the neighbor shows up. And then the... Uh, <laughs> What'd you do with your wife, Nick? The pregnant idiot, as Amy calls her. <laughs> Where's Amy, Nick? Where's your pregnant wife? Oh. He just goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's going so well. Thank you all for coming. That's all. No questions. <laughs> uh, Amy is a live reveal. This is my, this is my choice. I mean, it just, it is. Yeah, the shock value of on the first time viewing. I mean, there's there's really nothing to prepare you because there's no there's no <coughs> there's no like foreshadowing before this that mm-hmm. hey, it's all her idea. She, she's a genius. Yeah, your thought is it's it's either Nick or someone we maybe haven't met yet. Yeah, and be very hard pressed unless you've read the book to think she like killed herself or beat herself up or did all this like it was a p- fake plot like ed norton and fight club beat himself yeah no uh, not quite i mean there was nothing i tried to find stuff that might have hinted to it before the reveal happened there was nothing Mm-mm. there was nothing a total blindside unless you read the book like you said nick meets with tommy uh, another man who's been fucked over by amy <laughs> that's a scary scene because you get exposed to this is not her first time doing no, this no no the poor bastard he's like when people google me I can't <laughs> yeah, I like, I've been I able ha- to get a date in 10 years yeah he's like I haven't gotten a job it's like everywhere I move I have to put down like registered sex offender oh my god it's like Jesus just because he was like I don't think I want to date you anymore <laughs> Amy gets robbed by the rednecks this is a scene that Dean loved. And I think I loved it originally too, because you're like, finally, Something she's getting, yeah, get, get fucked. When she screams into yeah. that pillow, I have no sympathy for her. <laughs> it's uh, the, the bad guy from uh, Logan. Yes. It takes her, and the guy from Narcos. Mm-hmm. Comes in and her. A lot of Ozark vibes with the rednecks. Very Ozark vibes. <laughs> What's the update on uh, Sleazy Reporter? Anything? I can't. Yeah, I'm not getting anything, but I'm sticking to it. I like it. That's my theory, and it works. The next no, scene might no, be my like favorite. It. After the reveal, this is a scene that I was waiting for. Nate goes on a talk show? Yeah, I was waiting for Dean to watch it because it's he wears the tie because he knows. Once he figures out that she's like actively trying to ruin his life, frame him for her murder he knows that she's going to be watching. So he wears that tie, does the thing where he yep. gets in, in the elevator, where she mentions the woodshed, a huge middle finger. And also that is a turning point for the film, because at that point in her mind, 
you could argue that when um, Desiree's coming on strong, once she kills him, she makes a decision to run back. But the way that she talks at the end of the movie, this is the turning point because she said, the Nick I saw on TV in the interview, that was the Nick I married. Yeah. It was like trying to be better and better, like that sly version of Nick. Like that might have been the turning point that made her want to get back to him. But I don't know. I love that scene because it's him getting the upper hand, crushing yeah. it. I love it. It's him. You're right. He went on there because he knew. I think that's the only reason he went on. Not to clear his name because he knew she was watching. Because it's in that moment she realizes, all right, this guy's not going to just roll over. Yeah. He's uh, <laughs> he's on to me. Then uh, Desi pays the price. Yeah. Uh, Amy fakes the rape when Desi uh, leaves the house. This... What did Dean think it is of this? the most savage example of what she was willing to do. The fact yeah. that she like punched his lip to get him to bleed, did that, went up to the camera, put the wine, looked like she'd like been raped, go to the cam the house camera, screamed into it for help, crying. Uh, uh, God. She just flipped a switch. When you in the bathroom, what she what she does with that wine bottle to look like force? Yeah, like that's, I know that's dedication. That's you're going the nine yards. You're so far gone. You're not stopping now. At first, I was like, "All right, she's gonna reward herself. She's did a lot of screaming, poured a lot of wine on her." No, false. No, no, that's not what she did with it. Uh, Desi's death. It's tough. You can make a case more shocking than the reveal itself. Yeah. I mean, like, I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, wow. I'm, because you think... it's going to bang. Yeah, you think he might be brought into her plot. She might use him as a pawn to... If she does show herself that she's alive, use him in her narrative or something, and then he gets his throat slit with a box cutter. <laughs> Here's a question for you. Did he die happy? No, because he did not die instantly. <laughs> he bled out and rapidly processed what was happening before he died. She did like slam his head onto the... Yeah. 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 So he did not die happy. No, no he didn't. No. No. That was... Dude, I thought that... That cut was big enough. He could have been decapitated. There was so much blood pouring out of his mouth. Yeah, she's covered in blood. Yeah. Blood that doesn't get washed for at least a day. They do not wash her at the hospital. No. That did not make sense to me. Maybe there's an expert out there that knows why, but if they do a bunch of tests and get DNA and shit, we're going to clean her or we're going to just let her walk home in blood? Put some scrubs on her over the blood. (laughs) Yeah. I noticed you don't have it in here, but when she's in the hospital, it's one of the most eerie like how good her acting is when the one cop who's now more on Nick's side starts like interrogating her and she gives answers until she gets hit with a hard question says I'm feeling kind of lightheaded yeah and a bit of comedy when it cuts outside and the other the dumb-witted cop (laughs) makes a joke or whatever and he's like how did she get a box cutter if both her hands were tied and he's just like can't you be happy your wife is back home Shut up, Nick. Yeah, like, the white Tom doesn't, doesn't even acknowledge it. That's a very valid question. 
Both of her hands were tied up. I'm just she asking. Managed, yeah. Just be happy, you fuck. <laughs> Shut up, Nick. Uh, Amy comes home. Comes home from Desi's house. <laughs> Nick is a disbelief. Yeah. He's, you son of a bitch. Because <laughs> he had her. I know. That's why she came home. She knew that she was losing public favor and all that. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to fucking throw one more curveball at you. I think that's shocking too. I don't think I remember, or I don't think I expected her to just come back home. No. No. I really didn't know what her plan was after she killed Desi. No. But one more thing about Desi's death. Shows her ability to adjust on the fly here. Because, or not, uh, before, before she went to Desi, when she got robbed. Mm. That wasn't part of her plan. Mm-mm. Adjust on the fly. Yep. She came up with all that shit probably on the way to his house. The calculating. Yeah. Uh, Jeez, poor Nick. (laughs) Uh, Not poor Nick. uh, You know, Nick's not a great guy. He's not. He's he's nowhere near Amy. No. Uh, And the final scene, which is the pregnancy test and Margot crying. And then the 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 interview, yeah. Tough he ending. hits he, he hits her in this scene. That that that's not a makeup yep. from the from her journal. He he chokes her into that wall. <laughs> yeah, she. she <laughs> yeah, that that's a uh, domestic violence, Brett. I think that's what they call it in the industry. Yeah, he was. He's his his eyes rolled over for a second. Yeah. No, oh, they when they went. <laughs> Speaking of, over. speaking of Pixar, I was like in Finding Nemo and the shark's eyes just roll over black. <laughs> he was like, oh, I smell blood. Also, something that was funny to me, the interview where they reveal they're pregnant, when the one lady goes to hug her, the look on Nick's face, that would have to have raised suspicion online. He looks depressed and he goes, we're going to be parents. And they go to hug, he just goes, <laughs> like off by himself, no emotion on his face. He does not look happy. That would have to be brought up again. Like, they just didn't. <laughs> or when she, says, uh, when she says, kiss me, mm-hmm. and he just makes a. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> just any, any middle finger you can give her. Or when he's sleeping in the, in the other room and he's like, you know, you can sleep with me, right? I would never do anything to hurt you. And look at Nick's faces. That's a fucking lie. <laughs> you, cut a, you cut a man's throat on a whim. Well, we see it the first night she's back. He's. Oh, he sits in the chair with the cat. Yeah. He's not sleeping that night. No, I would never do that hurt you. That is a bold-faced lie. We're not going to, let's not do that. Let's treat her like adults here. You you killed a man days ago. I didn't forget that. He's dead. Came home with his blood all over you. No, you definitely hurt me. <laughs> you know how much I owe Tanner for, for the retainer? Do you know how much I owe because of you? <laughs> Hundred thousand dollar retainer. Oh, oh, for Tyler Perry. I love him in this movie. He's awesome. He's perfect in this sly He's lawyer good. role. I love him. He's good. Uh, we'll get to him. But uh, thoughts on the Amy voiceovers, Brad? You mentioned them earlier. I think. I go. We've gone back and forth on voiceovers and narrations and movies. This is perfect thematically for this film it's necessary puts you yeah off the trail you have no idea what's going on 
He actively doesn't want you until he reveals it. Fincher does not want you to think Amy is alive, is involved in any way. Because other movies, they might give you, like in Fight Club, he gives you a hint that there's something going on in his mind. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want to leave any breadcrumbs. He wants you to be surprised at that twist. And yeah, it doesn't work without it. So I think this is one of the the perfect match of a voiceover in a movie. Like this is, might be the best example of how a voiceover can work. It's also the only characterization of Amy we get before the reveal. Yeah. So it's more than necessary. They needed it. Yeah. A lot of themes going on here. What do you think is the most prevalent one? I think the biggest one, the one that gets hit home the most control. Yeah. Just control of other people control mm-hmm. over your loved ones. I think that I think media might be on the same level because you see how it's not even about facts of the case. Even Tyler Perry's character talks about you need to be liked. You need people to like you. You need this public image. You saw the one reporter lady. She just rags on me. Everybody hates him. Yeah. Nothing. It's all the evidence for most of like the witch, the, not the, I keep saying witch hunt, but just the hunt for Amy is all circumstantial. There's no body. There's no hard evidence linking Nick to no any, any crime at all. No. But they jump on him, rag on him, and then the whole country, whole maybe the world hates him. Oh, everybody so hates he him. speaks speaks volumes to the power of media, and if the whole story is shown and one information gets leaked out and all of that, but well, it's perfectly encapsulated when he's about to go on to <laughs> you know to clear his name or try to, yeah. and then his mistress comes on literally minutes before they record. It says, me and Nick fucked for a year and a half <laughs> while he was married. And his oh. parents and her parents, he no like Nick's like, he's dead to us. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to save it for comedy, but I'm going to do it now. The mistress says, I know Nick would have killed for me. Not the vibe I got. No. <laughs> I, don't, yeah, I don't know why she said that. Not the vibe I got when uh, he was shuffling you out of uh, his sister's house. Yeah, he didn't look like he really was proud of you. <laughs> he would have killed for me. Slow our roll here. No. No. Also, you get, we've talked about Weird Shots 4. You get a lot of nudity. You get oh, yeah. his mistress, nude shots, and then you get a dick shot of Ben Affleck at the end of yeah. the movie. Yeah. An ass shot? A lot of ass shots. Was that an Affleck request? I don't know why we had to show his ass and dick. <laughs> I don't think, honestly, it's weird. I don't think any nudity was necessary in this movie. You see a lot of... Uh, what do you think about it? No. No, what? None, no. none of it did anything. No. Didn't. For the, for the plot, nothing moved anything. I mean, I guess... I guess the Desi death scene, it was necessary. Yeah, because he was killing Yeah, during that act. But but I didn't need to see Affleck's dick in the shower. You know? Yeah, I don't think that added. Uh, I'm, I'm aware he's naked. He's getting in the shower. <laughs> Come on, you David. Don't, you, don't, you don't have to prove to me, David. <laughs> in the contract. Look, Affleck, he's actually naked. Maybe Affleck was just checking off boxes yeah. for his career. Dick shot check. But going back real quick to 
there being any crumbs. Sorry, it was kind of delayed. I guess the only thing that maybe giving it away is I know that you think she's dead at this point, but they're having because she, they're having her the the actress read her own journal. The fact that she reads it in a monotone voice, even when it's about I bought a gun the day oh. I'm afraid my husband might kill me. The fact that it is there's no waver in the voice; it's all the same tone. That might be reaching because in the context, you might have a bit of peach up. That's the only thing. If someone was to, were to guess it from the movie, that's the only thing I could think of is to what would maybe give it away. And even then, to me, that's a stretch. Right. To yeah. go, she's speaking kind of monotone. I bet she's alive to turn the frame Nick for her murder. But that, <laughs> like that's forcing puzzle pieces together. But that's the only thing I just thought of that might connect some dots. It is reaching kind of deep, but I agree. That would be the only thing. There's, but, no, yeah. there's nothing else. Yeah, it just kind of goes to back the point of he doesn't want you to be guess anything. There's nothing else. Another theme was revenge, but I think that and control will go hand in hand here. Yeah. And then the power of the media, we talked about that. I mean, the, Nick was, they're ready to put Nick in the chair. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're ready to fry his ass. Yeah, well, the one male cop was ready to arrest him like two days into the investigation. Like, yeah. get his ass. <laughs> My wife thinks he did it. Well, then we should arrest him. That's what she said. But your That's wife, what the female cop said. <laughs> your, your wife, the non-cop, let's book him, boys. His partner even says, she's like, well, if Tiffany thinks so, <laughs> <laughs> we got to put the cuffs on him. How is that dude a cop? He does not seem like he knows what he's doing. You know, she's doing a bulk of the work in almost any scene police work is getting done. I didn't see him <laughs> do a lot. He pushed people back, the crowd back. He told the crowd to get back sometimes. <laughs> come on, people, come on. Like, what did he do uh, when they went to see the homeless people? Nothing. He hung out with her as backup. <laughs> he kind of, he honked the horn at the co- in the cop car. Like, Oh, uh, yeah. Great. You, at least he drove. Did he drive at least? <laughs> Probably. All right. Okay. Uh, the score. I love the score in this movie. It's done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who did the Social Network score, which rightfully so won the Best Original Score Oscar. Yeah. That year. What do you think it's most effective? And I got a couple choices for you. The opening monologue, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Desi's death. Desi's uh, slaughter, I should say. <laughs> Nick breaks the code about the woodshed or Nick brings Amy home from the hospital the opening or any monologue, other ones you've got. The opening monologue is good. I think that Nick brings Amy home. You're almost like in disbelief and numb while the score is playing. I think it fits so well to that despair that you might feel for Nick. Yeah. That he's Cold like, master. I have to bring this woman back home. <laughs> like I know she's a psychopath. Even gets mad. He's like, when these when these vans and trucks leave, I'm gone. I'm not I'm not staying here. <laughs> Those vans were camped out in front of their house five weeks after she came home. Like, what else is there to tell? Yeah. I, what are you waiting I, I, for? I love when he's taking the trash out that one morning and one of the people there suddenly goes, Hey Nick. <laughs> like, fuck, fuck you. <laughs> All of you here were treating treat me like a pariah weeks ago. <laughs> trying to chase me down and now you're saying hello i don't even know why i'm taking out the trash anymore because the truck can't get through because you're all blocking the road (laughs) come on uh i'm gonna go desi's death 
Yeah, it's that. You might honestly have to rewind the scene to really appreciate the score because you might be in too much shock. Yeah, you might not hear for, it for a bulk of the scene. You might not hear it. You're just sitting there. <laughs> what the fuck? What's going on? What? Staying clear of box cutters for the rest of your life. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, this could be uh, Brett's bitch. Could not be. No nomination for best original score. Yeah, but. The Academy's tough. You want to be you want to be shocked and disappointed, but then you can't be shocked and disappointed based on their history. Yeah, so because they have no tough. credibility, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Trent Reznor on the score. Here's what he said, Brett. David Fincher was at the chiropractor, so Fincher has a bad back, I guess, and heard carrying, this music. <laughs> carrying the film industry. I'm carrying Alien Three. <laughs> David Fincher was at the chiropractor and heard this music that was inauthentically trying to make him feel okay. And that became a perfect metaphor for this film. The challenge was simply, what is the musical equivalent of the same sort of facade of comfort and a feeling of insincerity that that music represented? My primary aim was to instill doubt and remind you that things aren't always what they seem to be. That's Spot amazing. On. Yeah. That's exactly what I've... I mean, things aren't what they seem to be. That's how the score makes me feel. Yeah. Spot on, Trent. They just... When you really get a great director and a composer that work on multiple films together and build a rapport, you see just get better and better because they understand each other, what they want. It's almost like telepathy in a way. They just understand what works, what fits with each other's visions and all that. It always makes for an amazing product. Yeah. They'd also worked on Girl with the Dragon Tattoo before this, so yeah. they had plenty of time together. Uh, the performances. Ben Affleck as Nick Dunn. You know what, Brad? I'm just going to say it. His best performance of his career, and it's not close. I don't think it's close. I really like him in this movie. What do you think? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think about every Ben Affleck movie that I've seen. Well, oh, it's better than, uh, what is it, Live by Night? <laughs> Geely? <laughs> well, uh, here's the thing about Ben Affleck. Not a, not a lot of great performances. Better than Argo? I never saw Argo. Everyone talked about it because it won off so many fucking awards and everybody talks about it. I give him more props for directing that than starring in it. That's fair. I, I did like him in the town. Yeah, he's great in the town. He's great in Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, but that doesn't. It's not really about him. He doesn't have that. No. That means is it better than Batman v Superman? That's now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> I mean, this is definitely. I would put this in his top two, maybe pushing it top three performances. Yeah, I I, I could I could see someone saying maybe Argo was better if they liked him in the town or something like that. But yeah, I mean, but this has got to be top two. There really is not. He's. He's probably the most hit or miss actor. Yeah. Probably the most hit or miss Hollywood figure since the turn of the century. He really hits you with some good shit and then you know, hit, hits you with Daredevil. So. A lot of L's. Oh, God, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> or, or he hit you with an Armageddon. <laughs> I didn't forget about it. I just shoved it to the back yeah, of my brain. You tried to. Or, or live by <laughs> night. Oh, L. The accountant? 
Yeah, that was a strange movie. He he wasn't horrible in the account, but I uh, probably never gonna watch that movie again. Live by Night was just was just boring. It had yeah, like it was a, a pretty neat gangster concept, but it was just fucking boring. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't but know. You did a good job here, Ben, and that's what matters. He did a hell of a job. I mean, I. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good he was. Now he's heavily overshadowed by Rosamund Pike because she gave an she gave a goat performance. Oh my god! This, I mean, yes, thing you did you did great, but you just get out outshined by by Rosamund Pike. I mean, that perfectly encapsulates Ben Affleck's career. Yeah. Hey, you're gonna give the best performance of your career, but nobody's gonna remember it because somebody was way better than you. Yeah. <laughs> Rosamund Pike is Amy Dunbrettis. You hit on it. I mean, just an all-time performance. She makes your skin crawl in some scenes, like the hospital scene when she's just lying directly to the only cop who doesn't believe this shit. She plays like three different people. Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean, it's uh, insane. Literally, I mean at the beginning, you know, loving wife, loving girlfriend, caring woman. Then in the middle, turns into a, a hick. <laughs> and then it's at that, the end, as her true self, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, there's... The manipulation. Literally nothing wrong with this performance. No, there's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely perfect. The Academy thought there was, though. Yeah, they know they did. <laughs> Before we get to them, I'm saving them for last because that's what they deserve. <laughs> Rank among movie villains for Amy Dunn. Again, one of those movies, the villain wins. Yeah. Yeah, unquestionably uh, comes out the victor. In terms of intelligence, Brett, the only one I might have ahead of her is Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, I mean, pre-planning shit. I mean, this is... That is some king shit. Yeah, I mean, every detail. She just knew him so well, made the crime scene look specifically like someone with his character, what they would do. She knew, like, the picture frame when the one cop came in. It's like, how are these frames upright? Like, making the crime look like a setup, not an actual crime. Oh, my God. That's just... It's awesome. Draining her own blood? Draining her own blood. Yeah. Just reading a book. Just in, in, laying in the kitchen floor, draining gallons or quarts of blood, God knows how much. Putting on an act for the pregnant neighbor. I mean, that's what she did. She put on an act. So yeah. I, I think the only one I might have ahead of her in terms of intelligent villains is Hannibal Lecter. But you can easily, you could easily tell me she was better and I would have nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Um, the Oscars travesty. This is a top five fuck up by the Academy. All time for me. Do you know do you know who won that year for Best Actress? Julianne Moore for Still Alice. Yeah. I wonder how many listeners have seen Still Alice. Have ever even heard of it? I have not seen. Well, I've seen it. It's a tough sit. It's a tough watch. I'm sure it's a decent watch, but then knowing that it beat Rosamund for Best Leading Actress. Well, look, we know why they did it. We know why they did it. It was a career achievement, and it was 
look, we should have given it to you probably twice before, but we're giving it to you now. Yeah, I mean, even the plot, a linguistics professor and her family find their bonds tested when she is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. I'm sure it's a great performance, but I, I know how the movie is going to play out. Right. It's not like there's going to be, and I'm not saying a movie to be good needs to have twists and turns. No. But you've seen this movie a thousand times in just different forms. Right. A beautiful mind, theory of everything. Yeah. I just, uh... it's a travesty because Rosamund Pike gets punished for the Academy's previous mishaps. Not giving Julianne Moore an Oscar when they should have ultimately leads to an all-time performance from Rosamund Pike Yeah, getting screwed over. Well, if you want respect from the Academy, I don't know if you should be in a David Fincher movie. No. I just don't think they give a shit about him. <laughs> just don't, don't punish Rosamund Pike because you didn't give Julianne Moore an Oscar when you should have. Uh, that's that might be one of the the worst things the academy does is when they do fuck up or if it's e- even if they don't fuck up if someone is like gonna retire sooner they haven't won an oscar yet and they did a they had a pretty good performance or even a really good one they just give it to them because they think they need to have one like as much and it cucks somebody else like we, we've talked about um god Al Pacino, scent, scent, scent of a woman. He right. should have won it for Godfather or right. Godfather Part Two. I don't, I don't care which one because he didn't. Then they give it to him for Scent of a Woman. So that year, somebody who probably had a better performance as a leading actor gets yeah. screwed over because they didn't give it to him when he deserved it back in the seventies. <laughs> That's so so asinine. I believe they screwed over Robin Williams for Dead Poets Society. Well, good, good to screw over him. Doesn't like yeah. he didn't deserve it or anything. <laughs> I mean, shit. I don't. Uh, it just feeds into my opinion that they don't matter anymore. They don't. They get worse and worse every year. That they don't matter anymore. We're seeing it with the Grammys even now. Yeah. Like, I think the Emmys are the best in terms of batting average, getting it right. But even they have some bad ones. Yeah. The Academy has just totally embarrassed themselves, especially here. I mean, I can't, I didn't watch those Oscars, but Mm -mm. I can't imagine in the moment being like, what? (laughs) Yeah. This is as shocking as the reveal in Gone Girl. Like, what? What? She's not going to win. This will be my biggest gripe. This is the one I was telling you about, Redis. Neil Patrick Harris as Desi Collings. I want to see what you think first. Go ahead and give us your opinion first. I figured it was going to be about Neil Patrick Harris. Um, hmm. I didn't hate it. Like I thought he did a, a fine job. You have some replacements here. I think Jared Leto would have really killed it. I would have really liked him in it. But I think it's important that while he doesn't add a crazy amount to the movie, he doesn't take anything away either. He's not distracting from the narrative in any sense to me. He doesn't pull me out of it. doesn't worsen any part of the movie. And that being said, even if you hate it, he does get his throat slit. 
Hey, if you don't like him, some consolation. He's not in the movie very, very long. <laughs> well, let me tell you why he's not in the movie very long, Brett. Because uh, he sucks. <laughs> he's a sitcom actor. Nothing wrong with being a sitcom actor. Nothing. Nothing at all. You don't belong in a David Fincher movie. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris, you don't. <laughs> I think that was a strategic move by David Fincher to not give Neil Patrick Harris a lot of screen time here. Hmm. Hey, I'm curious how the casting went. If there's a connection that they knew that got him that role, there was an audition and they genuinely liked what he did. I'm, I'm very interesting of how that role came about. Cause you also have Casey Affleck in parentheses here. I don't know if I would but have Casey yeah. in there. It'd be, just, it would be interesting though, to have your brother in it and then have your brother get his throat <laughs> slit in the movie. I just threw him in there just cause. Yeah. Jared Leto is the first one that came to mind is who could have done this. Yeah. But, I mean, again, it's not, I don't want to downplay the character because it's not like a massively pivotal role. It's definitely an interesting plot point. Yeah. You don't need like a heavy hitter actor to pull it off. No. You, you don't know. need a, you don't need a thespian to come in here and act their ass off. You need someone that could be kind of creepy and then get their throat slit. Right. Somebody who you can definitely buy as creepy who you can buy stalking somebody. <laughs> and for some reason, Jared Leto came to my mind. <laughs> Fair enough. But Neil Patrick Harris, he's the black eye of this movie. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's, I just think he's so bad in this movie. I don't, I don't know why, what the logic was in casting him. I don't know whose decision that was. I don't know who the finalists were for that role, but I thought I just thought, I just thought he was so bad. My, my rule number one for supporting actors, just don't get overpowered by the leading ones. Yeah. And he got flexed on Brett. Hold your own. I mean, because <laughs> I mean, that was the point. I mean, he literally is overpowered. Yeah, I know it's Rosamund Pike in a GOAT performance, but you shouldn't be getting blown off the screen. Yeah. I felt like he got blown off the screen. Uh, I, just, yeah. I hated him. I hated him in this movie. I hate all his parts. The only part <laughs> I like is when he dies. Yes. I, I, didn't, <sighs> I, didn't, I didn't like him in this movie. This next, this next guy, though, I did. Tyler Perry as Tanner Bolt. We mentioned him briefly earlier. Amazing. He absolutely yeah. nails this performance. And this is a, this is a good, not a very serious role. Yeah, this is a what a good supporting role should be like. Yeah, crushes every even if he doesn't dominate every scene, holds his own, has a commanding presence. He kills it. Kind of revealing about Tyler Perry because I hadn't seen him in a serious movie before this. Yeah, proves he can do it here. Uh, Carrie Coon as Margot Dunn, Nick's sister. Thought she did a great job. I great. I love the. I believe in the siblings. Oh yeah, there's such good chemistry that back and forth. They're arguing, oh, yeah. their fights. It's so well done. Well, then this fact will blow you away about Carrie Coon. This was her film debut. Oh wow! Yeah, feature film debut for Carrie Coon. Good for you, Carrie. Good for you. Yeah. Threw to the wolves and David Fincher, and she came through. Quotes Life I don't remember the point From Nick as he is playing the game of life <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows complicated is code for bitch 
Yeah. <laughs> Actually, pretty accurate. Uh, befriend local idiot. <laughs> from from uh from Amy. Uh, you do know your wife from uh poor poor Tommy. Yep. Nick's idea. This is the most accurate statement she uttered the whole movie. <laughs> Nick's idea of culture was a reality TV marathon with one hand down his boxers. If that isn't a spot on assessment <laughs> of the male population, I don't know what is. <laughs> Some funny moments. You want to take it? Yeah. We got Nick's dad with some <laughs> random ass scenes. Nick playing video games. Amy spits in Mountain Dew. Media implies incest. Yeah. Or as the woman will say, I just said you guys are extremely close. <laughs> Andy says Nick would have killed for her. Yeah, I don't think so, Andy. I don't. Do you know, I forget, why did she spit in the Mountain Dew? Because they were watching uh, that lady's show about Amazing Amy gone missing, and she said uh, Amy seemed like a bitch. Oh, uh, okay. Something like that, yeah. I, I knew she was mad. I thought it was for some weird, nefarious DNA reason, but it never made sense to me. Okay. No, no, it was just because. Okay, just because just, just <laughs> she's a, a crazy person. Yeah, yeah. Media implies incest. That was, they were stretching the hell out of that. That was like, yeah, that was like, uh, well, I don't, Mr. Fantastic stretching the shit out of that. I do like Nick playing video games. Those are his sister's house a lot. Yeah. Nick playing video games. That's a funny scene. (laughs) Just trying to blow off some steam. What's the laptop for? Laptopping. (laughs) All right, asshole. And I guess the video games are for video gaming too, Nick. <laughs> uh, I'm. I'll go with. Uh, I'll go with Nick's dad. Yeah, it's it's weird. Dad, what are you doing here? Huh? I like when he takes him back to the the home. And he's like, "Get your fucking ass off!" <laughs> Jeez. Some questions. Walt the neighbor. Who calls Nick at the beginning to tell him his front door's open? Well, how, do, how does Walt, the neighbor, spend his days? Good question. He seems, like he, seems like he's got nothing to do. <laughs> we see him sitting on his front porch in a chair. That's all, they, that's all we see him. <laughs> how does Nick know nothing about his wife? Yeah, I mean, this like helps the narrative that he did it because he comes off as uninterested in his own wife, but it is strange. How does one bang in a library? Quietly. Where did they go? Is that like a room? Uh, yeah, I guess. A super serious reading room. <laughs> you got to do it quietly, I guess. How I mean, is Desi... I, yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. I guess he does know a lot about his wife, but because... For the year and a half since they've like been cheating, he just didn't pay like that much attention. Like he's like, oh, she reads a lot of books. Doesn't know, pay attention to nothing other than they're all like murder mysteries and how to get away with murder books. Doesn't have any friends. Technically, right? She only hung out with the one dumb neighbor behind his back for this plot. 
Right. He didn't even know her. Because name. she was isolated. She didn't really want to move there. They moved there for his mom when she got sick before she died. Because she said she felt like an ex- an accessory when they an accessory when they first got there. Yeah. And they show that flashback. So I think he did know more, but it was put off to an extent that he doesn't know Jack all. Like they even make the joke, the two cops, and they ask her about the blood type and he has no idea. And the, and the dumb dude cop goes, should I know my wife's blood type? And she's like, no. No. You don't even know that off the top of your head. It'd be weird if you did. But it makes Nick feel like he should and makes him look like he doesn't know a damn thing about his wife. I don't even know my own blood type. I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> Throw me in jail. Killed somebody. Uh, how is Desi not a serial killer? How is Desi not on FBI Most Wanted list? He gives off strange vibes. I mean, this guy should be on like neighborhood watch lists, Amber Alert lists. He like, hadn't heard from her in years. Nick got those letters. Nick kept the letters. Yeah. And he was game the second she called. Like, he was all right? back in. Like, <laughs> What has he been doing? I mean, yeah, he made a lot of money, but 50% of his brain must have still been on her all the time. That is another one of the questions that I didn't put on here. How, what the hell does Desi do for a living? <laughs> you know he bought that lake house just on the off chance she came back to him. <laughs> That's the only reason he bought it. Maybe she'll love me if I have a lake house. <laughs> all right, Desi. Is there a bigger schmuck than Desi? No. No, no. <laughs> There's not. I don't think so. Why doesn't the FBI wash the blood off of her at the hospital? Yeah, we mentioned that earlier. I Again, maybe there's someone out there that knows medical habits more than I, but I think after you do enough testing, you can fucking clean off the victim. Throw some scrubs on her. Move up the blood. Nah. Nah, nah, nah. She can do that herself. Yeah. Well, what are we, a hotel? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Bathe you too? Well, we gotta give her towels. Yeah, cut the uh, fuck out of it. Did the talking heads apologize for dragging Nick through the shit? No. <laughs> no, they didn't. I don't think they yeah, did. They did not. <laughs> How messed up is their poor child? That's a messed up kid. Yeah. That yeah, is a it's a tough tough at home life to grow up in. You sticking around with Amy? If you're in Nick's shoes, nah, getting out of there, nah, <laughs> not the, she's not getting me. You know, I looked up the plot of this movie because I first time I saw it, I was confused as to whether or not the kid was. I thought the kid was Desi's. Mm-mm. No, it's Nick's. I mean, technically, we don't get a DNA test. We just know that. She's actually pregnant this time. She isn't lying. Yeah. She is pregnant. So technically, we don't know that it's Nick's. My counter argument is when she would told me, the kid won't have any problem growing up hating you. My response would have been, fuck the kid. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> know if it's mine. Yeah, fuck you. Fuck that kid. I don't give a shit. <laughs> and then my response, like, what are you going to do? I already don't have any money. You're not going to get any alimony out of my ass. <laughs> fuck I'm going to be paying Tanner Bull for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, I looked it up because I, first time I saw it, I was like, okay, it's Desi's kid from when they banged and he killed him. Well, that would have been a fast pregnancy. Yeah. Well, 
it's actually Nyx because according to the plot, it says she inseminated herself with Nyx sperm at the fertility clinic that he mentioned earlier in the movie. So it is Nick's kid. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> you are the father. Uh, Brett's bitch. Anything? Anything at all? Uh, I mean, not no, not really. The only bitches would be you try to find some plot hole somewhere, digging really deep. But I mean, this is a. Uh, this, these are one of the movies that you watch. You wish you could wipe your memory and have that first experience again. Yeah, and that's why I enjoyed watching it with my brother, so I could watch him have that first experience. Because I was waiting for certain scenes: the Desi dying, the reveal that she's not dead. I mean, these are you can't believe it. Because there's so many twists, there's so many revelations that make your jaw drop even further as the movie goes on. Because he doesn't give you anything. He doesn't want you to catch on until he puts it on a silver platter in front That's of you. Right you, have to, you. you have to deal with it. You have to deal with this new information. I recommend this movie to anybody. It's not the easiest watch, I guess. Maybe not alone. It is kind of a creepy, makes your skin crawl at points. It is kind of long, two and a half hours. Yeah. But worth it, by all means, worth it. Favorite shot, Bredis. Favorite shot. It's kind of cop out. One of my favorite ones has to be the matching opening and closing images of her head on his chest. Yeah. Those are just beautiful bookends for the film to open the same and close the same way. I'm going to go with... It's tough because I want to say that too. Beautiful shots. But I mean, but everybody talks about that. That's just such a common shot. Yeah. I'm going to go. Let's see. When. uh, When she is uh, falling. Oh, no, 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 no. When Affleck comes to Desi's house. And Desi comes out of the house mm. and he leaves the gate closed. I like that shot. There's a brief shot yeah. of like through the gate. I think it's a nice metaphor for what he's going through. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good one. There's a lot. There's a lot of beautiful shots in this movie. But the bookends you're talking about, those are those are just beautiful. Yeah. Um 87 with Oscars, we kinda hit on it. Only one nomination. It was Best Actress for Roseman Pike, she, she, uh, she, she didn't win. No, not, not not even best adapted. I mean, come on, not even best adapted, not even best, uh, not even best original score, not even best editing. I know. Uh, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm thinking about not even including the Oscars on the, the shows anymore <laughs> because they have no bearing on anything. They That's just don't. True. They don't matter anymore. I'm done. Uh, the casting what ifs. Reese Witherspoon, who ended up being a producer on it, was originally cast as Amy Bredis. Reese Witherspoon is Amy. Can you see it? No. I don't think she gives off the cold. Rosamund was too good. Yeah, the cold psychopath vibe enough. Rosamund Pike in another favorite movie of ours, Hostels. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Another tough watch. Another, yeah, yeah. Another, you you might be out on that within five minutes, depending on uh, 
what how squeamish you are. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of names considered for Amy. Now, when we say considered, I don't know how far in the process they actually got, but they were considered. According to IMDb, they were considered. Charlize Theron, Natalie Portman, Olivia Wilde, Emily Blunt, who I think uh, could have pulled this off. Yeah. And Rooney Mara. The only two I think that could are Charlize Theron and Emily Blunt that could yeah. pull off that cold, distant kind of appeal that none of the others really can. Well, we saw Charlize do it in Monster. Yeah. I mean, so she's played a killer before. We we know she can do it. <laughs> Emily Blunt, I don't know. There's just something about her. I really liked her in Sicario. Yeah. She played a good, distant figure in that one. I, I I would honestly say Rooney Mara could do it because she was so good in Girl with Dragon Tattoo. That's true. Another screw job out of an Oscar, but you know it is what it is. Uh, Brad Pitt, Seth Rogen, <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds all considered for Nick. Uh, I don't believe Seth Rogen was considered for a second. Yeah, I don't. I just feel like also I feel like if your budget for a movie gets big enough. I think everyone says Brad Pitt was considered for this role. Yeah. <laughs> so what does that mean? Brad Pitt was considered for Forrest Gump. No offense, but I, I think if Seth Rogen was in this movie, this movie would have sucked. I totally agree. No offense to Seth Rogen, but that movie would have fucking sucked. Even Ryan Reynolds, I just don't... No. I don't like in this role. No. Like I said, I think it's Affleck's... I think it's his best performance he's ever given. Yeah, I think he kills this. I don't believe Seth Rogen. I don't think David Fincher would have ever put Seth Rogen in a movie like this. No, I think the only guy that I think could have seen doing from these what ifs actually couldn't do it, and that's who you have next, and that's John Hamm. Right. He's the only guy I think could see pulling off the gambling, maybe alcoholic, kind of dirtier guy who's going through it, but he had Mad Men commitments. So, yeah. Yeah, like you said, I consider for Nick, but couldn't do it because he's doing Mad Men at the same time. I believe it was the last season of Mad Men that he was doing. By 2014, it probably have to be. Uh, yeah, it worked out for him. He got an Emmy, so you know, yeah, he's not too butthurt. No, <laughs> he's, he's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's doing all right. Still making movies. He's, he's fine. Uh, fun facts. Our last segment of the night: sixty-one million dollar budget. And like we said at the top. Murdered the box office, three hundred seventy million. You deserve it, David. He deserved it. <laughs> you deserve it. No wonder he didn't work for six years. He didn't need the money. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like we said, it's the highest-grossing movie. Reese Witherspoon bought the film rights in 2012, but they eventually came to an agreement that she would produce it and not star in it, like originally intended. Worked out. Oh yeah, it definitely worked out. Gillian Flynn, who wrote the novel, negotiated for herself that she would write the screenplay, and it was her first time writing one. I I love this. I love when the author, if they're up for it, takes on adapting their own book. One that comes to the top of my head is The Perks of Being a Wallflower. The author of that book, he's only written one movie. I think he directed it too, but he's only written one movie, and it was the movie version of his book. It's a good call. If you can get them to step in there, they know the source material better than anybody else. So if they are really about it, really stick with it, it's only it theoretically should only produce the best outcome. 
Right. You shouldn't get anything lost in translation if you're adapting your own book. You know what would look be important for the screen, what works in a novel, and vice versa. I think the fact that she negotiated that for herself. Like, hey, I'll give you the film rights, but I'm writing it. Yeah. That's pretty impressive, too. Yeah. I'm either writing it or you don't get the movie. <laughs> Damn it. All right. Here was Gillian Flynn on writing the screenplay. She said, I certainly felt at sea a lot of times, kind of finding my way through. Hmm. Well, you found your way through, Gillian. Yeah, yeah, you did. She met with Steve Cloves a lot, who was the screenwriter on Harry Potter movies, to discuss adapting novels into films. That's a pretty good expert to go to. Yeah, whatever he told her, it was the right shit. Yeah. Film takes place in Missouri. Guess what? Mostly filmed in Missouri, too. Yeah. You, you don't to have to... If you film it in the place that you say the movie actually takes place in, you don't have to bullshit and shoot kind of difficult in L.A. for scenes that look outside spots that look like Missouri. It's a, more work, but it's a lot easier for the production. Oh, yeah. Classic Fincher here. Scenes averaged 80... T- or My bad. 50 takes. Jeez. 50 takes per scene. Do you think the throat slit took 50 takes? Oh. <laughs> or is that a one? I feel like that's a one take. I don't know. I feel like they could have taken like 100. <laughs> He's like, no, no, no. The blood's supposed to go that way. <laughs> no, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. You, it's, it's not a slashing motion, Rosamund. <laughs> Better than that. Oh, God. This one, you'll get a kick out of this. Production was shut down for four days because Ben Affleck refused to wear a Yankees hat. I, I, did, I can't believe that. There's no way. Maybe a couple <laughs> hours, but you could get him a different hat. Ben Affleck, diehard Red Sox fan, refused to wear a Yankees hat. Did, but he ended up wearing a Mets hat at one point. Yeah, yeah, that was his. Uh, at the he airport, was like, all right, fine. Mets. Yeah, like, what is it? Yeah, so what does it matter? Just give him a hat. Why four days? <laughs> Something else is going on. Um, Affleck's weight fluctuates a lot, and you can tell because he was prepping for Batman v Superman. Yeah, thick boy. Big Put on that muscle. Fincher's shot. You'll know how much this is more than I will. 500 hours of material. That's pretty... I mean, coming off, if you listen to our last pod on Zodiac, talking about reels of film, it's, it's, the dude likes to have a lot of options, which obviously is better in the long run in the cutting room floor and the editing room, but... That's so much footage. It's good to get all those takes, but then you actually have to go through all those takes and find which one you like the best. It sound, in theory, it sounds great. Or we're going to get 50 takes of this scene, but then it's finding which of these 50 fits with the scene before it and the scene after. What fits well for the most cohesive story? That's a lot of time in the editing room, man. 500 hours. That is ridiculous. It's a two-and-a-half-hour movie. That is ridiculous. What is the average? Like, what's the average number of hours for material? Do you That's know? That's a good question. I don't know that off the top of my head, but it's definitely not 500. <laughs> I mean, two and a half hour movie, you don't... Something tells me you don't need 500 hours to pick from, do you? You do not. You do not. That is <laughs> not the norm. That is David Fincher. Good God. 
And then the last fun fact here, Affleck studied Scott Peterson. Mm-hmm. Renowned wife killer. Interesting. Oh, there you go. There you go. You getting the average for us? I'm trying to look it up. See if I can find anything. Hundred hours. Good. Good. God. You know, I wonder if Affleck was thinking, you know what? I'll do this Fincher movie and then Batman v Superman will put me over the top again. <laughs> and then no, 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 it didn't. Tough, tough. <laughs> Is it even a hundred hours? It might be closer to that. It's all the takes, man. I mean, 50 takes for, you know, what a lot of other directors would think are meaningless scenes. I mean, that Desi death scene, that had to have been. Let's see what this says. Say at least 70 takes for the Desi death scene. In the golden age of Hollywood, which is the 1930 to 1955, it was a 10 to 1 ratio. So a 90-minute feature film would have 25 hours of film. Oh, wow. Certain directors like Alfred Hitchcock were known to have a 3 to 1 ratio so he could control the edit by leaving the studio no other options. (laughs) What do you want, asshole? We got one tight. We got one shot. (laughs) Oh, here's some good... Here's some good ratios. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road had a 240 to 1 ratio. It was 120 minutes, and they had 480 hours. Gone Girl, they have it on here too, was 201 to 1, 149 and 500 hours. Damn. Uh, Let me find one that's not as crazy. Uh, Oh, I don't know what this movie is called, but it says Primer had a 1.04 to 1. 77 minute runtime, and they had 1.3 hours of footage. Wow, they knew what they, they wanted. The Hateful Eight, you would think Tarantino would kind of do the same thing. Not that bad, 30 to 1, 167 uh-huh. minutes, and only 95 hours of film. I wonder what Coppola is. I feel like for Apocalypse Now, he shot. Um, Apocalypse Now, uh, 95 to 1, 153 oh. minutes, 242. The highest shooting ratio, a very recent movie, Deadpool. Wow. 555 hours of raw footage at a 108-minute running time is a 308-to-1 shooting ratio. Deadpool 1? What? The first Deadpool? Yeah, the first Deadpool. Wow. It would take you 14 weeks watching 40 hours a week to see all the raw footage. Oh, my. Oh, my. God, I mean, it nice. paid off. Deadpool was great, but yeah. But it's, yeah, at what point? At what cost? Yeah, because you think about <laughs> like the Heath Lake, great movie. Mad Max Fury Road, also a great movie. Mad Max Fury Road shot almost four hundred hours more of film. So it's just funny, like how certain directors that want that many options that need that think they need that. It's very interesting. Well, at this point in his career, Fincher, I mean, this is how he's done every movie. Maybe not 500 yeah. hours, but, but the many, the tens and upon tens of takes. Yeah. It's clearly working for him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be the case for Mank. Oh, um, I, I am sure on black and white, he's going to take all the time. Well, that'll do it for us tonight, Bredis. 
a great series on David Fincher. Yeah, wrapping it up before the release of Mank. And we will be doing a pod, as Zach said, at the, at the start of the show. We will be doing a pod on Mank. Yes. If you haven't seen Citizen Kane, I'd recommend watching that before you watch Mank. Cause... Yeah, do not go into it. I will say this. You've probably heard it if you've ever taken a film class. Don't go into it thinking it is or one of the greatest films ever made because I feel like that puts it in a shitty light. Just watch it as a very cool classic film. I think you'll enjoy it a lot more. It's a it's a privilege and it's a burden to, to put yeah. a, put a title on it like that. But first outing too. <laughs> first first go outing. At, your first go at directing, and they're like, "This is it." Yeah, no, you you did it. That's the best. He signed a three picture deal with RKO Studios or RKO. I just think it was yeah. called. And that was his first one. So doesn't yeah. did it too best he's like how do i i can't, i i actually can't do better <laughs> based on the feedback you all have given me i cannot do better i can only do worse dude he negotiated like hell because it was he, he got three movies control yeah and he stars produces and writes them yeah. and directs them wow <laughs> orson wells baby god tier director in our hall of fame oh yeah so uh, check that out when it comes out on Friday. Make you can find it on Netflix. Um, and check out the rest of our stuff on the network. We got the battleground. Hopefully, recording tomorrow regarding some of the NBA moves that are going down, particularly the one that just happened tonight. Russell Westbrook for James Harden or not? James Harden, John Wall, <laughs> straight up. Brennis, how about this? I didn't even think about this. Two of your Kentucky boys reuniting. John yeah. Wall and Boogie Cousins. I'm all for my UK boys getting rings. <laughs> See what happens. Uh, check out Lynn Sanity. Check out The Running Hook. Check out Triple Option Pass. And as always, thanks for listening to us. Bye.